accomplished part of it from Psalm 33. We'll have to read verses 8 through 12. And I want to ask you if you'll stand in our awesome God's honor as I read from the scripture. Let the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. Let's pray. Father, we are here To remember your blessings, Lord. We are grateful for this place. The United States, God. But we know without you, Lord, we would not exist, Father. And I just lift up this service to you. We want to continue to worship you. To lift you up, Lord, as in the saying, Father. To honor you. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would continue in this worship service. That... We would see Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. We are so blessed, and often we don't realize how stable we are as a nation. On average, when you look at the nations across the world, about every generation... There is a coup, there is an uprising, there is a change of government. Not here in the United States. We have enjoyed this nation, this land, all the way back in those 1700s. <laughs> what a, a blessing that we have. Matter of fact, um, if you were 95 years old and you lived in Poland, you would have seen seven Change of governments, seven constitutions, the length of that time. In, uh, if you were a baby boomer in South Korea, you would have seen or lived through six changes of constitution in that land. So what is the reason for our longevity? Why have we managed to be stable for so long? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Essentially, if you were able to look at the school textbooks before World War II, it was really quite evident within the textbooks for the credit, for the blessings and the growth of our nation went to the Bible. That has since not been so evident in our land in the last few generations. There are 257 or so sayings that we use on a normal basis. We don't even realize they come out of the Bible, but they come out of the Bible. Uh, just to name a few of them. One of them, by the skin of your teeth. Was that the Bible? You know, I've heard people say, well, I think he made it to heaven, but he made it by the skin of his teeth. Have you ever looked at the skin on your teeth? That's not a lot to put the trust in. 
make it to heaven. Uh, here's a few more of these. Uh, a leopard can't change his spots. Or how about there's nothing new under the sun? Or maybe you've heard this one. Uh, signs of the times. Or it's a thorn in the flat flesh. Or from the cradle to the grave. Or handwriting on the wall. Or a fly in the ointment. Or we could continue on and on. Many sayings that we still use in our conversations as Americans. And the origin of these sayings is the Bible. We still use the sayings, but most Americans have no idea where those expressions originated. Might be an interesting, you know, thing next time you hear some of those sayings. Do you know what Bible verse you're quoting? And and see uh, if people have an idea. For the first hundred and fifty years of our nations, our national leaders were not shy about crying out to God, about stating the fact of the importance of the Bible playing a role in our nation. Just a couple of quotes. This is from John Quincy Adams. With regard to the history contained in the Bible, it is not so much praiseworthy to be acquainted with it as it is to be shameful to be ignorant of it. Wow. You see, in that day, it, it wasn't. Hey, you know, you know this is wow. Hey, you're kidding me. You've never read that before? You're, you're not familiar with this book? Because it was so interwoven in our country. President Teddy Roosevelt said these words. The teachings, the teachings of the Bible are so interwoven and so intertwined with our civic and social life that it would be impossible for us to figure what life would be if these teachings were removed. In our culture, we are not taught anymore that our free market system, which, I mean, let's face it, um, whether good or bad in our nation, we've been able to generate a lot of wealth. Where did our free market enterprise system, where did that come from? Where did these ideas, where did they come from? Well, uh, many of us don't realize that the basis of that foundation is five Bible passages. Let me just read a couple of these. First Timothy 5.8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The sense of the work of that. Right? Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And then chapters, Matthew 25, Luke 19, Matthew 20. Uh, the idea of our, our, our work ethic and, and, and being able to create and to make these products and to be successful came from an idea of, of Scripture that we are to do whatever we do with all of our heart as unto the Lord. Uh, our land is a republic. If you look in our Constitution, Article 4, Section 4, we're required always to be a republic and not merely a democracy. Sometimes we say, oh, well, we're a democracy. Everybody gets an equal vote. No, that is not our form of government. Our form of government is a republic. And in our Constitution, it is written that we're always to be a republic. Why? Well, there are seven forms of government that are mentioned in the Scriptures, but the republic was the one that was chosen. 
Why? Because the study of the scriptures, it was evident that the republic was the best form of government. Uh, just a couple of verses here. Exodus eighteen twenty one. But the la- capable people from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials of the thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Deuteronomy 1, 15 and 16. So I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens as tribal officials. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the disputes between your people and judge fairly whether the case is between two Israelites or between an Israelite and a foreigner residing among you. And then one more, Deuteronomy sixteen eighteen. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Representatives that were chosen by the nation. Franklin Roosevelt, listen to his words. In the formative days of the republic, the directing influence the Bible had on the fathers of the nation is conspicuously evident. We cannot read the history of our rise and development of a nation without reckoning the place the Bible has occupied in shaping the advances of the republic. Ben Franklin, you know, famous one of the founding fathers, considered one of the least religious of the founding fathers. But it doesn't mean that he did not realize how desperately the young land needed God. And and so in 1754, he was actually the first guy that had the vision of a United States. There, There were states that were formed and that were together, but he had the idea, a vision of the United States of America. Albeit, I realize it wasn't as many states as we have now. But that was the first vision of a united republic. That was 1754. In 1776, he was one of 56 who signed the Declaration of Independence. Seven years later, he's one of three guys to sign a peace treaty during the American Revolution. And it would end... And then four years later, he sat with the Continental Congress at the Constitutional Convention as they are working on the Constitution of the United States. And after five weeks, they were all ready to throw up their hands because there was infighting and there was disagreement. And there was so much fighting, it appeared the whole thing was going to fall apart before it even got started. June 28, 1787, Ben Franklin, he's 81 years old. And you have to remember in that day, the average lifespan was like 33 years old. So if you were a high school senior, you were going through a midlife crisis. I mean, it was just a different world, a different time, a different culture. He looked out at the, his uh, fellow American leaders and he gave... His longest speech on record that we have. I just want to read a little part of it here. He said, gentlemen, in this situation, in this assembly, groping in the dark as we are to find political truth and scarce able to recognize it when presented to us. How has it happened, sirs, that we have not once 
hitherto humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding. He went on to say, said, in the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. In other words, as they were squabbling, he was saying, we need to stop and we need to pray. We need God's intervention. We need God's wisdom. We need Him among us. Matter of fact, it's interesting as you look at uh, our early history. By 1815, records show that there were over 1,400 prayers by our political leaders. In other words, our young nation prayed. Our leaders cried out to God. What do we do? Benjamin Franklin, he, like I said, he wasn't necessarily a religious guy, but he knew they were in a mess. And it was bigger than they were, and they needed to run to the one who was bigger than they were, God. He goes on, as he talks to this group, he says, Our prayers, sir, were heard. Have we now forgotten this powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. If a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? The interesting uh, thing is, uh, if you were to go through his whole speech, you would find there are references to 14 Bible verses. In a guy who is often known as one of the least religious of the founding fathers. Anyway, they decided after Franklin spoke, we need to take a break. So we'll go to church together. Well, that's an interesting idea, isn't it? And our politicians go to church together. So they, they take three days off. They go to a church. And the preacher, as he's speaking, he just stops and he sees these Political leaders out there. And the whole community knows they're fighting. I mean, you know, they didn't have all the social media we have. But it was a small enough place where they heard. Because we talk. And and so this preacher, he stops and he says, Our land is in turmoil. Guys, I'm going to pray for you right now. And so they all, you know, humble themselves before God. And they cry out to God together. This preacher leads them in prayer. So after the three days, they return. And he says, the most amazing thing. There's a new heart, a new attitude. And just ten weeks later, the Constitution of the United States was in written form as God would work. You know, there are those that say, well, the Constitution of the United States, there's no reference to God. There's no mention of the Bible. But the truth is, those who say that, what they're really showing is they don't know the Bible. Or they have not read the Bible or not familiar with the Bible. Listen to these words. This is Andrew Jackson, another former president. He said, the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. Andrew, ja- uh, I mean, Zachary Taylor wrote, he, by the way, he was a warhead who did president. He said, the Bible is the best of books. I wish it were in the hands of everyone. It is indispensable to the safety and permanence of our institutions. As a matter of fact, it seems the more we leave the Bible out and we pursue answers without God, the more mixed up and divided it
Virginia. Benjamin Rush, he was known as the father of public schools. In 1790, he looked around at the young nation and he, he said, we need an education system that will pull us together as a nation. And so he wrote a pamphlet, 12 Reasons Why the Bible Should Be in Our School System and Never Be Taken Out. This was March 10th, 1791. And in that writing, he put this warning. In case any future generation ever takes the Bible out of schools, that generation will spend all their time fighting crime when they could have prevented it in the classroom. Are we really better off as a nation with the Bible? It's interesting with the dissent we have at early Supreme Court. There was a case that came to Supreme Court where one of the public schools wanted to pull the Bible out of their education system. And the Supreme Court ruled on the case, and they had a unanimous decision. And here's what they said. If that government-operated school doesn't want to teach from the Bible, it doesn't have to. But it has to become a private school because public funds will not be used to support a school that does not use it. 1963, the first time the Bible was removed from our public education. And there was no historical precedent for that. If you go back and you look at that case, the case was decided by the judges because they said that there are verses in the Bible that can be taken out of context and cause psychological damage to children. And so the Bible was taken out of schools. Benjamin Rush, who I referred to earlier, he... He wrote this. He said, The Bible, when not read in schools, is seldom read in any subsequent period of life. You see, the later in life people read the Bible, the less likely they are it will become known in the book that they read. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, which so beautifully reveals to us the power of of the scriptures. All scripture is God breathed. Or some translations it says God inspired. But I like God breathed because it, it literally is this picture of the, the words of scripture come from the mind of God and are communicated out to us. And he says, uh, he goes on, he says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, the wisdom of Scripture is not something to be isolated just in a building for public worship, just for a congregation to use one hour or two, three hours a week. It is to be a, not an isolated, compartmentalized part of our lives, but it is to be our lives. The gospel, the, the word of truth, it's, it's to be who we are as believers. It's not meant just to be here. And, and, you know, there is a voice out there that says, now, faith is important. Prayer is important. Living for God is important. But don't put that on me. Just keep it in that building one hour a week. But if we love Jesus, it's not that we're trying to force anything by anybody's throat. We just love Jesus and we want to serve him. And we want to love him. And we want to walk with him. We can't just keep it in here. 
when the words become alive. Matter of fact, the next verse, 317, we're told that the scriptures God breathed so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything we do, God wants us to walk in His word. A couple other examples in our culture, uh, in our court system, you can confront your accuser. As our founding fathers used Proverbs 18, 17, here's what it says. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. In other words, you you have the right to defend yourself. Innocent until proven guilty. Proverbs 22, 7 talks about the importance of staying out of debt. Proverbs 22, 7 reads, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Here's another one. Uh, one of the issues we hear about a lot today is gun control. Well, what does the Bible say about gun control? Well, the Bible doesn't mention guns specifically, but turn with me to Mark chapter 7. I want to read a couple of verses that I think does address this issue. Mark 7, 20 through 23. And Jesus went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from from inside and make a man unclean. In other words, the issue is what is in your heart? You need to be changed from the inside. I don't want people to be hurt. But the way that's changed, that's got to change. And it's the gospel that brings forth that change. Remember Cain and Abel? <laughs> brother against brother. And here's what God said. Uh, this is Genesis 3, 6 and 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule Close with a guy named Matthew Mallard. He was a sea captain in the early 1800s. He loved to be in the ocean. He was in a stagecoach accident that severely wounded his leg, and so he was unable to go back out on the ship. And so he became a land logger in South Carolina. And he is known now as the father of oceanography. family was doing their Bible reading together, their devotions. Someone in the family started reading from Psalm 8. Verse 8. The birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. He heard that phrase, he said, the paths of the sea. Wow, that never seemed to the sea. Yeah, the paths of the sea. 
of my life. He began to study, and through that study, he discovered that there were certain currents, jet streams, certain paths in the ocean, and if ships got in those ocean paths, then they would travel much faster. And it, it revolutionized how, how fast ships could go across the ocean from one continent to another continent. And so he became known as the father of ocean Well, later on, he was reading in Ecclesiastes 1.6. Ecclesiastes 1.6 says, The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. Well, the scriptures are saying that there's not only channels or paths in the ocean, but in the winds, in the airs. And so he also became known as the father of naval meteorology. Because now you could tell the weather on patterns of uh, in the air. Air patterns that would move and insights would come from the weather. As a matter of fact, uh, there were people that said, you know... Mario, you're crazy. The Bible. You know, the Bible's a book of religion, but it's not a book for stuff like this. You don't trust them for weather or the ocean. And I love uh, his response to that. He said, um, it's man who's wrong when science and the Bible appear to contradict. It's our small minds that are missing something. He closed with Joshua 1.8. It's still important for all of us. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. But meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this country, Lord. And as Benjamin Franklin said, it's so true, Lord. A sparrow doesn't fall to the ground that you're not aware of it. You say that in your word. So how can a nation, Father, be prosperous and excel without you, Lord? May we remember that, God. I know as a land we have our issues, but we need you, God. And the gospel, Lord, is what we need. That we can be changed. That we can be made new, Lord. And I just pray this morning as we have looked, Father, at um, the early days of our land, Father. We just need you. And I agree with Benjamin Franklin, Father. May we cry out to you, Lord. And may we let you guide us and lead us, Lord. And may we obey when you give us instruction to follow, Lord. Not just to learn the word but to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And Father, this morning, I don't know what you're up to. We have an altar that's open and decisions may need to be made. Maybe to trust the God who brings freedom, not just as a country here, but to the heart. Because the Bible says that we're slaves to sin, but we can be made free through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And so, Father, um, we're here for that. I, I pray that we would listen to your voice to follow you, whatever that may mean. It may be for the first time to be set free from sin. 
And to say, Jesus, come live in my heart and make me new. It may be something we're struggling with and God says it's time to follow me. To deny self, to pick up the cross and to follow you daily. This is a great time to do that, Lord. It may be just to come here and to pour our hearts out in prayer at the altar, Lord. Whatever you want to do, may we just say yes to that call. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.